friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. I hope you are doing well and I'm excited that you are here with me today. Today's episode is going to continue from a previous episode we've had looking at numbers. Numbers that you find in the Bible. Uh, for us, as a Western uh, person, if you're a Western person that is, who approaches the Bible... You see place names, people's names, locations, numbers as facts. It's a factual thing. That, that, that number means that number in terms of quantity. But actually, as an Eastern reader of the Bible, a number is not just a number and it's not just a period of time. It's a picture. It means something, it indicates something. And once you kind of get your head around what some of those numbers mean, when they start to appear, you can go, oh, I can actually see what the writer is trying to do and say. So in a previous podcast, we looked at the number three. Uh, the number three had always meant the completion of God's plans and the, write, the writing of God's plans. And we know it as Christ rose from the dead on the third day. And we talked about all these miracles in uh, particularly the New Testament where Jesus does a miracle. You'll find the number three because it was meant to be a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the power of God was about to be outworked. And there was going to be some completion of God's plan. And you would see Jesus do this miracle. And then you start to see it's not just Jesus. So Paul uh, heals a young man that's fallen out of the third story window of a property. And that, that number three was just a nod. Hang on, watch. The, the the outworking of God's plans, his, his completion of his plans is just about to happen. So the number three was always special. But there were other numbers that were special. And we're going to look at two of those numbers today. We're going to look at the number 40 and we're going to look at the number seven. And just recognise that there's a rhythm uh, built into the universe. And if we see it, we might see something that God is doing. So friends, welcome to Making Disciples and today's episode on number seven and number 14. So let's have a look at the number seven. So the number seven appears in the Bible time after time after time. And it's very possible to kind of zip past it. Now, for many of us, uh, we would recognise that the number seven is important uh, because we know the world was created in seven days. So there's something about this number that is important because we've, we've seen it. But once you start looking for the number seven, you notice that it's woven throughout the Bible in lots of places. And it becomes just a little nod for the reader uh, to something else. So we have to ask the question, what did the number seven mean to the Jewish reader, the Middle Eastern reader of 2000 years ago? And the number seven within the Bible is associated with this idea of completion, fulfillment and perfection. And the reason for this is it comes from Genesis. It comes from the creation story. So it's on the seventh day that God had created the world and he goes to rest from his work. He is happy with it. He is pleased with it. 
So he spends the day resting from making it. Uh, the seventh day, the, the, what we see here with God is God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rests from the work and God blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy because he tells us that on that day he rested from the work from creating and it had been done and it was completed. So for six days, God works. And on the seventh day, he rests. He celebrates the creation because he's celebrating the completion of it. And it is good, he says. So the number seven became this number that was a nod to God's completing plan, the fulfillment of his plan and the perfection of his plan. So the number seven becomes the number of perfection. So we hear that the number six is one off perfection. Uh, so the number six isn't God's number. In fact, the number 666 becomes a symbol of the Antichrist. But God's number, the number seven, is a number of perfection. And because it's perfection, God gives humanity perfection by saying, I want you to celebrate perfection by on the seventh day resting. So God builds into this universe, this seven day rhythm with the knowledge that the seventh day was always meant to be a day to rest, to understand that you are not the saviour of the world. You can't complete everything like God does. God is the only one who can complete, but that you can walk away knowing that you are not the saviour of the world. The world will not fall apart because you're not there. And a day for you to uh, celebrate God's completed plan, his fulfilment and his perfection. And God gives us this, this seventh day rhythm into the world. But then we start to see this in scripture. So we're told in Exodus 20, the command was to Sabbath rest, stop on the seventh day. We're also told in Leviticus 25, two to six, that not only should you have a day of rest, you should have a year of rest. So there should be a Sabbath year. There should be a year to um, slow down, to not keep going. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. And woven into the universe was this. Take a, the seventh day off. Take the seventh year to celebrate as a Sabbath year. And there was going to be this year of Jubilee, which... Uh, it's a it's a seven following seven following seven. So uh, we're told seven times about the, the seventh year in Leviticus 25 that there should be a year of jubilee and that there should be this point where all debts are wiped out uh, on the seventh year. And let's just keep looking because within the Jewish calendar, there then starts this rhythm of seventh day and seventh year uh, that then plays through because uh, this number seven becomes this number of completion and fulfillment. So every year there's a cycle of God's completion and fulfillment. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days. Uh, so those feasts were seven day feasts and the Day of Atonement uh, was on, in the seventh month of the year. Because it was meant to, the Day of Atonement was a day where uh, the people of God would confess their sins onto the goat, which became known as the scapegoat. The scapegoat would be sent out into the wilderness, bearing the sins of God's people. And that would happen on the seventh month because God was wanting to bring about completion, fulfillment 
and perfection for his people. Keeps going. There was this sacrifice of the bull's blood and it was, we're told in Leviticus 4, 6, that that was to happen seven times. We're told that there was a burnt offering of seven lambs. We're told that in Numbers 28, 11. Uh, we're told in Leviticus 14, the way that you cleanse a wet leper is to sprinkle them seven times. I don't know if you know the story of Naaman, who was a leper. It's in 2 Kings 5.10. We're told that he was sent uh, to the Jordan to bathe himself and dip in the water seven times. Um, we're told that in the tabernacle, there was a uh, candlestick and it had seven branches. That's Exodus 25.32. You could just keep on going. But there's this seven woven into the story of God. Go bath yourself seven times. Celebrate this for seven days. Every seventh year, take a Sabbath. And there was this rhythm of seven built in. So the number seven, where you see it, is about God's completion, fulfillment, and his perfection. This is perfect. This is how I wanted it to be. So where you see the seven, you should be going, ha, that number tells me here there's a place of holiness and perfection. So the fact that Naaman goes and washes himself seven times, and it's on the seventh um, dipping in the water that he is healed that's because on the seventh time God is completing his plan and he's fulfilling perfection and he's bringing Naaman back to what he should have always been uh, not being a leper it is just woven then throughout the old and the new testament you know the story of Ruth uh, Ruth chapter 4 15 we're told that a loving daughter-in-law is preferable to seven sons a daughter-in-law, a good daughter-in-law is better than having seven sons. Um, a good daughter-in-law is the completion of God. It's the fulfillment of God. It's the perfection of God. We're told that the priests uh, marched around Jericho seven times. And it was on the seventh march, God's perfection, fulfillment and protection of his God happened. And the wall falls down. That's Joshua 6, 4. Uh, we're told that John addresses seven churches in the book of Revelation. Mary Magdalene had been affected by seven demons in Luke 8.2. We're told in the Revelation that the demon or the, uh, the, uh, the dragon of Revelation has seven heads. So uh, tune in to what is going on where you see this, this number seven. Because the number of seven is trying to whisper to you, hang on, watch. What you're about to see is a completion is a fulfillment and the protection of God or the provision of God. Uh, so the number seven is just this holy number. You're about to see something of God outworked as, it, as this number appears. I have really taken this to, to heart, really. And I think this is definitely not going to apply to everybody. And I'm not I'm not suggesting it just doesn't work for everybody. But in my role as a, as a church pastor, it's full on all the time you end up working six days a week and you are carrying things and hearing things that are heavy and I cannot keep going day in day out at, at a pace uh, that my church needs me to uh, unless I take some Sabbath so what we do is I have uh, Friday off every week my mobile phone does not get answered I do not answer emails. I do not answer my phone. You cannot find me because I'm Sabbath resting. I'm recreating with my family uh, and I do that. And then I take every seventh week off. So I'm working six days a week. So I then take the seventh week off to rest, to recuperate 
and to really take time to to be human. I'm, I'm a human being, not a, a human doing. Now, that doesn't work for everybody. It certainly won't work for most people. But for me, I've had to build into my year just this rhythm of work hard, play hard, uh, recognising that, that God is a God who rested and a God who had to stop and to celebrate. So I've, I've woven that into uh, my year. So I take the seventh day off and I take every seventh week off as a way of hitting pause and resetting myself. So that's the number seven. And you'll see the number seven appearing all over the Bible once you uh, tune into it. But note, the number seven is about completion, fulfillment and God's protection. The other number I want us to quickly look at today is the number 40. 40 is associated uh, most of the time uh throughout the Bible with this sense of a new development in God history was about to occur. Where you see the number 40, it indicates that there's going to be a shift happening right now between one place to another. And that's not just location, but it's a sense of moving from one position to another position. So 40 in the Bible is associated with a new development in God's history. He was going to do a mighty act. He was going to do an act of salvation or a provision or something was going to happen. So where you see the number 40, it's saying, take note. What is about to occur is something of a God shift. Something is going to move. So let me give you some examples of this. And again, I'm not giving you all of them. I'm just giving you some of them. So we're told that uh, it poured down with rain. Uh, and that there was a flood for 40 days. So that's Genesis 7, uh, 17. So the flood was a symbol of a shift going to occur from one place to another where God's people um, were going to recognise that God really wanted holiness. So he's going to move them from an unholy to a holy uh, people. Uh, we're told then that Noah dispatches a raven and that's for 40 days again. So there's another 40 happening. Uh, in that story. We're told that Moses fasts uh, on the mountain, which is in Exodus 24, 18. He goes and fasts at the mountain and he moves into uh, being who God wanted him to be. We're told that the spies went to explore the land of Canaan in Numbers 13, that for 40 days they were like, is this where God wants to take us? So they went and they spied on the land for 40 days and it became a symbol of, of God moving his people into a new place, starting to provide a new place. Uh, we're told that Moses prayed for Israel in Deuteronomy 9.25 for 40 days. Uh, we're told that Goliath comes to fight the people of God in, in 1 uh, Samuel 17.16 for 40 days. Uh, Elijah's journey to Morhab in 1 Kings 19 took 40 days. Uh, Ezekiel lying, he did this prophetic act of lying on his right side. And that again was for 40 days. And he did it as a way of proclaiming to the people of God that there was something not right. Jonah went to warn Nineveh for 40 days before they confessed. We're told that Jesus stayed in the wilderness prior to his temptation for 40 days. And it was a way of Jesus moving from his previous life to his ministry life. 
We're told that Jesus appeared after his resurrection for 40 days. That was in Acts 1.3. So woven into God's story are these pivot points. And these pivot points are numbered with the number 40. And the idea being that when you see this number, you know God is going to shift uh, the people of God from one mindset to another or from one place to another that God was going to take them from slavery into freedom there's going to be these pivoting moments and you you see them symboled by the number 40 now there's a question was it exactly 40 days or was it exactly 40 years wandering around the wilderness was it really 40 actually friends uh, if you're conservative, you would say, well, it's definitely 40 because that's what the Bible says. Yeah, it probably probably is. But I'd also, it's also a metaphor and picture here that's happening. Could it have actually been 39 years and two months and they just rounded it up? Could have been. I, I think the, the important thing here isn't the exact length of time, but the pivotal moment is happening in this season or this, this time. So what's important to us as the reader, not did it actually happen like that, but take note, God is going to do something where he's going to move uh, you from this place uh, to the next. Um, 40 years, some would say it's a generation of people. So it was a good number to just show that over a generation there was a shift uh, that happened. Uh, but certainly the number uh, 40 becomes this symbol of this pivoting moment of God. So numbers are really important. Uh, they're telling you something that's not just a fact. It, they're telling you something that's that's a picture uh, for you and I as a reader. So take note of numbers in the Bible when you see them. Don't just skim past them and take them for granted, because these numbers actually do mean something. Now, some numbers don't mean a great deal. Uh, some numbers, like the number two, don't mean a great deal. Uh, but then some numbers really do. So you've got seven and you, you've got 77, which is linked to the seven. Uh, you've got the 666, which obviously links to the number six, which is one off completion and wholeness. You have this number 40, which is this pivotal time frame where God moves people from one place to the other. Uh, you've got the number three, which symbolizes resurrection and God's bringing about his purposes and plans to completion. So these numbers all mean something. So it's worth just kind of banking them up in your mind and then enjoying seeing them. So one of the things I do is I, I circle numbers when I see them in the Bible or I highlight them just so they jump out. So I start to say, oh, yeah, okay, that's there. That's there. So I start to notice where these numbers do come up. But friends, there's some other fun. I just want to inspire you uh, the next few moments around the Bible because there's some really cool stuff. Uh, like hidden under the surface and and doesn't really change a great deal but for me it just really shows that God's hand and providence is over this book because we're in a culture at the moment where uh, we we don't want to come across as dogmatic so we're quite happy to start to be a little bit flexible with the Bible and say things like maybe it didn't quite happen like that it's a metaphor it's a picture but actually I really also do believe that the the Bible is God's book and he's crafted it. And to show us that he was a part of this crafting, there's some really interesting things about it. So let me just give you this as an example to ponder on. The shortest chapter 
in the Bible is Psalm 117. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. Shortest, 117. Longest, 119. If you were to take the Bible and to split it right down the middle uh, by the word count, you would find that the centre part of the Bible sits right in between the shortest chapter and the longest chapter. So the shortest chapter is uh, Psalm 117, the longest chapter is Psalm 119, then the centre of the Bible is Psalm 118. How cool is that? So the centre of the Bible is Psalm 118, and the psalm before it is the shortest, and the psalm after it is the longest. There are 159 chapters before Psalm 118. There are uh, 500, sorry, there's 594 chapters before Psalm 118. There's 594 chapters after 118. If you add these two up, you get 1,188. 1,188. Love it. So what is the central verse of the Bible? If the longest... So if the shortest is Psalm 117, if the longest is 119, and the centre passage is Psalm 118, with this 594 chapters before it and 594 chapters after it, what is the central verse then of the Bible? And it is Psalm 118 verse 8. So if you take the, the 594, the 594, add them together, you get the 1188. Psalm 118, verse 8, is the centre. It's like, how crazy is that? And that verse says this. It is better for you to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I love that woven into this book is this quirky little nod and a wink and a fingerprint of God that says like, the centre of the Bible and the centre centre of the Bible is right there in Psalm 118. Before it, the shortest chapter. After it, the longest chapter. And the centre verse of the Bible, Psalm 118 verse 8, is it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Why? Because God is up to something crazy, like crazy schnizzle. Like God is doing stuff woven into the bible that we don't see and it's almost like god is saying look trust me put confidence in me because i know what i'm up to i know what i'm doing and I'm, I'm up to things and i'm planting things and i'm weaving things and i'm acting things out that you don't even know about so friends don't go trusting human beings don't go trusting what they say because i'm up to stuff and i'm weaving things all the time that you don't see so friends, I'm going to park it there for today. I, I want to leave you there with those thoughts. And I guess I want to just challenge you. It's good to go away with a bit of a challenge, but how much do you trust the Bible? How much do you trust that from the beginning to the end, God really did breathe this together and that he took human beings and through them birthed this book, got them to write down and woven in it then are these keys and clues to that he's actually the one putting this thing together. Uh, it may have been written down by Mark, 
or written down by uh, Elijah. But could it actually be that God was a part of all of this all along? And that woven into it are clues and nods and winks to the fact that God is up to stuff. And then he sits back and giggles to himself when we suddenly realise that there are these patterns that are all in there. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's a piece of art, isn't it? It's a piece of art, my book. It's not just words. It's not just stories. It's not just chapters. It's a magical work of art where there are patterns and there are pictures and there are fingerprints throughout. And then I, you could ask yourself, is God doing the same in your life? Like, where is God doing this, but you miss it? Where is God weaving in things that you miss? Are there things going on that you don't even spot uh, because your attention is elsewhere? Can I encourage you to maybe take some time to hit pause, to reflect on your life and just see where God is up to work? Because God is always at work, Jesus tells us. And can you take some time to see him and what he is doing. Friends, I hope you found that helpful, something a little bit different. And until next time, grace and peace.